making sure that we don't screw the environment is a kind of political objective that we need to be able to kind of consciously and deliberately advance through through democratic institutions and through choices that we make collectively about what we value and about what we allow and what we don't allow. And neoliberalism makes it very, very difficult to do that. <laughs> so it would appear. Yes. Oh, we got all sorts of feedback last week, didn't we? With people saying it was their favourite episode ever. No. Yes. No, we didn't. Bloke on Twitter said it. Did he? Yes. Damn. <laughs> right. Welcome to Sustainable 109. Uh, we are yeah. <laughs> your friendly little environment podcast all about people and the planet and why it's all very confusing, isn't we all? Yes. And this week we are looking at something very confusing indeed. What is it? It's hugely confusing. It's a thorny issue called neoliberalism. I don't know what neoliberalism is, but I have a strong feeling it's bad. And that you are one. And I'm probably neoliberal, and you're definitely neoliberal. Uh, So, the the point is, it's probably very bad for the planet too. Um, So, we decided to talk to somebody who does know what neoliberalism is and ask them all about it. And that person is the wonderful Christine Berry. Yeah, Christine knows all about this stuff. We shall let her introduce herself in a minute. Strap yourself in, listener, for a right rollicking good explanation of what this here neoliberalism is, what we are being told we all are, and is very important, but none of us really understand, but you will in about half an hour or so. Just the usual disclaimer before any of that, we do work for environmental charities, but these are very much our own views. So if anything that we say, or anything that Christine says, makes you rattle against the fabric of civilization, take it up with us, <laughs> and not with anyone for whom we work. Yes? Okay, let's let's get on with it. I'm in a high eck of a rush to do this podcast. You've made a pun that we haven't... <laughs> Hayek, heck. Yes, I know, but no one's... Let's just get on with it. Barry. I'm a freelance researcher and writer. Um, I used to work at the New Economics Foundation where I spent quite a lot of time thinking and writing and researching about neoliberalism and why it's bad and what we could do instead. Hello, thank you very much for coming to chat to us. Um, we are on the issue that we're about to talk about, as with many things, very confused. And we're very confused on this particular issue because it's a hard word to say and we don't know what it means. And that word is neoliberalism. What's that? <laughs> Help. Um, it is a hard word to say. Like Every time I have to do podcasts on neoliberalism, which is surprisingly frequently, I lose the ability to say the word neo- neoliberalism <laughs> almost like immediately. Like, yes, yes. yes. Another word yeah. I cannot say. Anyway, uh, what is it? Well, 
Um, I guess there's quite a lot of answers to that, depending on your political persuasion. So for a lot of people on the right, it's a term of abuse that the left likes to throw around that doesn't really mean anything. Um, for a lot of people on the left, it's either um, a set of rules of the game, you know, that uh, politicians use to run the economy to try and deliver good outcomes. Or if you're more conspiratorially minded, it's a political project that was basically designed to you know, restore the power of capital after the Second World War in a long period where capital had become less powerful and the world had become more equal. Um, so, yeah, we can talk about all that, but it's it's not, yes. it's a very, <laughs> it's a contested term, I suppose. The big result, what people should learn from 2008 financial crackdown, is that neoliberalism first is a myth. Yeah. Okay, well that, that makes me feel better because I feel a bit more justified in being confused about it. Uh, but I've certainly heard people talk about that, the, that project that you just mentioned. Um, so can you, can you tell us a little bit more about, about that, about kind of the origins of it? Because there are some particular individuals kind of credited with like, you know, laying down the, the kind of the, the rules of the game, aren't there? Yeah, so the main one is um, Friedrich von Hayek. Um, who famously wrote a book which supposedly Margaret Thatcher slammed down on the table during one of her first cabinet meetings and said, gentlemen, this is our programme. Um, I think it was called The Constitution of Liberty. Wow. It's called um, being a knob. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, discuss. <laughs> but um, yeah, Hayek wrote a bunch of books um, sort of during the post-war period, basically about why this turned towards government intervening in, in, the, in the economy, um, and kind of trying to improve outcomes and, you know, uh, create more employment and make things more equal was a really bad thing and was basically a slippery slope to fascism. Um, and what you needed to do instead was to free up markets um, to do their thing because markets were inherently always going to be better at allocating resources and making sure that everybody got to live a good life than governments could be. Um, and from sort of really the 70s and the 80s with Reagan and Thatcher um, after the kind of post-war system um, went into crisis and there was a sort of political moment where people were looking for something new, those ideas um, became very dominant. Socialists don't like ordinary people choosing or they might not choose socialism. That's persisted. You know, basically until this day, it's only quite recently, really, that um, we've even been able to start talking about neoliberalism again as as being a thing that, you know, that may or may not be desirable, as opposed to just the way that the world is, which it kind of has been for the last 30 or 40 years. Is that not capitalism? What 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 is neoliberalism and what is capitalism? What's the difference? Is it the same thing? Because you talked about markets. That's capitalism, isn't it? Or what? So this is a really interesting question. Uh, well, if you're a dweeb like me, it's a really interesting <laughs> question. <laughs> Apologies to all the listeners who are less dweeby than me. Um, so the way that I like to think about this is with a, a kind of computer analogy, that if you think of the economic system as being like a computer, capitalism is sort of like the hardware and neoliberalism is like the software. It's like the operating system. So capitalism is a, is a whole bunch of institutions and power relations that structure how the economy works, including kind of markets and private property and finance and all of these things. And neoliberalism is like the operating system. It's a set of rules for how you should run capitalism. So, you know, in the, in the post-war period, we still had capitalism, but it was generally accepted that if you left markets to their own devices, 
bad things would happen, like people wouldn't have jobs or you would have massive financial crises like you did in 1929. And so government needed to intervene to try and you know, improve those outcomes. Um, and neoliberalism basically says the opposite. Um, so you know, government's job is to make markets work effectively. Anything else it does, by and large, will only make things worse. Um, so both of those systems are, are capitalist systems, but they're different ways of running that system. That is, by some distance, the clearest explanation I've ever heard of those two things. And I, like, a little yes. little kind of ding <laughs> just went off in my tiny head, which uh, which is really pleasing. I heard it. Yeah. <laughs> no. um, oh, there's another one. <laughs> <laughs> okay, one last time. These are small, but the ones out there are far away. <laughs> So, uh, you know climate change and killing all the bees and stuff? Yes. Good. Yes, I do, Dave. Bad. <laughs> which, which is bad. Um, is that because we're all neoliberals? Am I, actually, hang on. Are we all neoliberals first? Is, are, are we are all you a neoliberal as all a neoliberal? Because I know I'm not. I think I'm not, but I might be. That's a totally different question. But, but I mean, <laughs> um, are we all neoliberals? I think... That is a really interesting question because I, well, I don't think I'm a neoliberal, at least not intellectually. Um, until very recently, part of what was distinctive about neoliberalism was that it, it sort of hid in plain sight and denied its own existence, right? So neoliberals would insist that neoliberalism was not a thing. Um, you know, the policies they were advocating were just common sense, like they were economic experts who understood how to run the economy. And anyone who said otherwise was just a kind of pinko nut job, essentially. And it's been really interesting in the last few years that that has kind of started to shift a bit to the extent that the Adam Smith Institute, which is, you know, one of the, you know, one of the biggest neoliberal think tanks has explicitly started describing itself as pro-neoliberal, where previously it would have denied that neoliberalism existed. And I think that is a sign uh, that neoliberalism's power is weakening. I was actually at an event earlier today where somebody quoted um, an analogy that somebody else made, that neoliberalism has been invisible until very recently and now suddenly it's standing naked in the middle of the room having to explain why it's there. Um, I think that is true. And I think that actually explains quite a lot about why neoliberalism is problematic for things like climate change because until very recently um, it's really constrained our collective imagination and our ability to think sort of radical or or big um, or different thoughts about how the world could be in the way that we need to if we're going to address environmental catastrophes as serious as climate change is right the parameters of political possibility have been very very narrow um it's all about you know tiny tweaks at the margins to make markets work better rather than saying well actually maybe the market is just systematically generating these environmentally catastrophic outcomes and we need to do something radically different i guess there is there's also an extent to which i think there's a uh, there's a cultural set of values that goes with neoliberalism that is about kind of individualism and you know everybody's right to do whatever they want and not only is that acceptable probably in the aggregate it's going to be good for society so there's this kind of crude version of adam smith right that says if everybody pursues their own self-interest then you know societally the outcomes are going to be good which any five-year-old could surely pick that apart and tell you why that's not necessarily going to be the case but it's very culturally embedded um the idea that that's true and I, mean, I think I've certainly read things that suggest that that's how it's precisely the opposite to how children are 
kind of hardwired. You know, they they when they first start interacting with with other people, they're by nature cooperative and collaborative and and sharing and and working together to to common goals. And then they <laughs> they get taught by our system that in it for yourself. Yeah, right, exactly. I think this is really interesting. And actually, adults, to a large extent, there's some really interesting research, the Common Cause UK Values Survey, um, which basically found that, um, so they measured people's values on a scale from intrinsic values, which are more kind of, uh, you know, care for others, care for the environment, those kinds of things, um, to extrinsic values, which is more about, um, you know, self-aggrandizement or money or... Hair. Self-enhancement <laughs> hair. Um, I'm really like admiring Ollie's hair, by the way. My my hair is definitely radio hair today. It's just like being on the tube has not done it any favors at all. But, well, Dave's yeah. got a face for radio, so. I cannot believe you've come on here and said how nice his hair. <laughs> Get out. Get off this podcast. <laughs> I've forgotten what I was saying now. Uh, extrinsic yeah. values, yeah. Yeah, extrinsic and intrinsic values, right. So what they found was that most people actually had more intrinsic values, you know, they, yeah, cooperation, collaboration. Um, but when they were asked about what, they, what values they thought other people held, they tended towards more extrinsic values. So people are more greedy and selfish. Um, and so that's what I mean about the cultural impact of neoliberalism, you know. And George Monbiot's latest book actually is really good on this. I know you you had him on the podcast talking about this, that actually as a species, what distinguishes us is that we're, you know, we're cooperative, we're collaborative. Um, and neoliberalism has this very different, very pessimistic, actually, view of human nature, that we're basically all out for ourselves and we're all greedy and we're all selfish. And it's kind of pulled off this amazing trick of making us believe that that's true, even though in our own lives we all kind of know that that's not true. Um, and, and so there's this weird kind of collective delusion that it's not possible for us to solve problems like climate change because everyone's t- too greedy and too selfish and, you know, uh, it's utopian to think that we can cooperate to create a better world. And it's not true. I think there's a massive affliction of that within the environment movement and within people, the, the, the thoughts of people who, who really care passionately about this because I'm definitely guilty of, of, of assuming that other people don't want to start, solve climate change as much as I do or assuming that other people aren't going to take innately environmental actions because, you know, they're I'm, bastards. They're bastards. Yeah. And, and that is as you've just described it, a fundamentally kind of neoliberal way of looking at, at the world and looking at our, our colleagues and our and our peers. And so it, do you think that's as damaging as any of the kind of big power structures and the big kind of economic technical reasons that neoliberalism might, might stop tackling climate change? Yeah, totally. I mean, I think there are all kinds of other reasons why neoliberalism is a problem for the climate. Yeah, like you said, to do with the kind of the economics Um, and the politics of it but I think these kind of cultural factors um, this kind of constraint on our collective imagination and our sense of who we are as a species um, and and who we are in relation to nature as well which which links to some of the technical factors right that that economic neoliberal economics sees the environment as an externality um, you know as something so that means something that is basically outside of the economic system the economic system might have bad impacts on it and you can kind of make tweaks to the way market markets work to try and what they call internalize those externalities so like bring the damaging impacts of carbon emissions into the price of emitting carbon so that markets will work more effectively yeah exactly but when you think about it that's just that's just a really mad way of thinking about the economy right we all we we are all part of the environment we all live in the environment the economy lives in the environment everything that happens in the economy 
is the environment. All of the resources that it uses come from the environment. Everything that it makes goes back into the environment. It doesn't exist in some kind of separate bubble. And that, that kind of separation, that idea that the economy and the environment are somehow fundamentally separate, um, I think is another really pernicious aspect of neoliberal ideology that's, that's problematic for technical reasons, but has also kind of permeated the culture in ways that are really problematic. So, Christy, we've established that we're all neoliberal, uh, particularly all. Who I always knew was neoliberal. I always, always, always knew it. Thank you for confirming that. The, Do we? When need... did I? I don't remember. Yeah, anyway, we, no, we, you, you said you were neoliberal. I admitted because you said I you said it to some neoliberal thoughts. Right there we are. Then. <laughs> yes, you made you dabble in neoliberalism. It's like the Book of Mormon. People say that we need to end neoliberalism if we're serious about saving the planet because we're all too selfish and we won't do it. Is that right? I think it is right, um, partly for the cultural reasons that we just talked about, but also for some quite practical reasons. So, you know, for one thing, I think neoliberalism massively concentrates power um, and has particularly kind of concentrated power in a small number of quite big economic actors, so like big oil, big banks, the kind of actors that are going to need to be taken on if we're serious about fixing climate change. Um, And until you kind of unpick that, it's quite hard to see how you can make progress to the extent that's needed. Um, And also for the sort of technical reason that, you know, neoliberalism is basically about money and markets um, and letting markets do their thing. And for various reasons that we can talk more about if you want, uh, I'm of the view that it's it's just not possible within that system to ensure that you stay within environmental limits, right? Making sure that we don't screw the environment is a kind of political objective that we need to be able to kind of consciously and deliberately advance through through democratic institutions and through choices that we make collectively about what we value and about what we allow and what we don't allow. And neoliberalism makes it very, very difficult to do that. But uh, last week we had that Mark Campanale on here from Carbon Tracker um, who was talking about how markets are increasingly realising that it's in their own interest to uh, cut carbon emissions because, you know, uh, electric cars and people doing stuff about it. And actually isn't ultimately, like, if you're purely selfish and purely just acting as an individual, actually isn't it in your interest to do something about climate change? So isn't selfishness actually the ultimate thing that's going to save us? Yeah, there's a lot of people that argue this. And I think it's an argument that has legs to a certain degree. It's not an argument that I would be willing to gamble the future of the planet on, put it that way. You know, um, I think that there are huge sort of um, in, sort of incentives and forces within, for example, big corporations, company directors who think that their only job is to maximise next quarter's profits investors in those companies who think that their only job is to maximise next quarter's returns, even if actually it might be in that company's long-term interests and the savers who are investing in that investment fund's long-term interests to do something about climate change. There are huge, huge um, kind of institutional, economic, cultural barriers to overcome to translate that quickly enough into the kind of scale and level of action that we need. You know, particularly when you look at things like fossil fuel extraction, it's, you know, it's not really in the interests of BP or Shell or fossil fuel company X to do something about climate change because it means 
screwing their entire business model. So although, you know, for actors across the economy as a whole, yes, climate change is going to have catastrophic consequences. That doesn't mean that a small number of people can't benefit very handsomely from exploiting fossil fuels in the meantime, and that they won't continue to do so if we kind of maintain this delusion that we can get where we need to get through enlightened self-interest and markets. That, that just sounds like it's even more high stakes than I sort of previously thought it was, because essentially you're saying to companies... This regulation might happen, in which case your business model will be screwed, so you're going to have to behave differently. And if I'm a company, I go, well, I've got two options, change my business model or undermine that regulation. <laughs> and, and they've had right, a lot of yeah, success yeah. At doing And which that. is more likely, right? Like we've seen how the tobacco industry has responded to like, attempts to um, regulate cigarettes on health grounds, you know, and there's a lot of evidence, you know, as we know, going back decades of fossil fuel companies trying to do the same thing. Yeah, it's a very high stakes game, exactly. That's kind of my worry with it. And I think, fine, you know, I think the work that Carbon Tracker has done is amazing. I don't want to, just to be clear on that, I don't want to take anything away from that. I think at the moment, and to be fair, until very recently, it has seemed like inevitably in the future we would be operating in this neoliberal system. And so you had to kind of play that game because it was the only way to make any progress. I feel like now it's less clear that that's the case, actually, you know, across the world. Voting publics are angry because this system is not delivering for them and there is an opportunity to do something different and better and maybe we don't need to be bound by these rules anymore. Um, but fair play to everybody who has been trying for the last kind of few decades to make some progress on climate within those constraints because that was the game that had to be played and they've done good stuff within those constraints and I wouldn't want to you know, sit here on my high horse implying that that was all a waste of time at all. What are you supposed to bloody do about it then? That's the question. Like, if I'm just a member of the public, let's imagine that for a second. Um, like, what am I supposed to do? Am I should I not bother trying to buy green things within a neoliberal system? Uh, what, what what should we do to save the planet, which is important? What should we do question. to save the planet, which is important? Just a small question. No. Isn't that literally all of sustainable ever? Yes, and we haven't cracked it yet. So if you could help us, that would be lovely. <laughs> Okay, great. Um, well, I mean, it, it's the it's the usual thing, isn't it? Of like, of course, it's it's useful insofar as it goes to try and make ethical choices about what we buy. But I think this is the thing about beyond neoliberalism is that um, we are more than just consumers. And I think to really solve a problem like climate change, we need to start seeing ourselves as as citizens rather than just as consumers. And I think the way that I try and think about this stuff to, so it doesn't seem so overwhelming and kind of like we just need to wait for the revolution to happen and um, then it'll all be fine, is what are the kind of, what are the, the new kind of seeds of change that we can create now that do something good for the planet now, but also um, are kind of changing the balance of power or changing the structure of the economy in ways that will actually weaken this neoliberal system in the future so I think energy cooperatives and energy democracy um, which I think you had a podcast on quite recently right on episode 94 yes. episode 94 right um, is a really good example of that right because um, community renewables are a great thing now but they're also changing the way that energy is owned and produced in our economy so that it's in the hands of people and not in the hands of big companies. They're moving from a logic of the market to a logic of democracy and citizenship, actually. Um, and I think it's those kind of solutions 
um, thinking about how we can move that stuff forward that, that can make all of this kind of systemic neoliberalism stuff feel a little bit less daunting and depressing and like there's nothing that ordinary people can do. I think Bart and Lisa are feeling a little upset right now. Isn't there something you'd like to say? There sure is. Kids, you tried your best and you failed miserably. The lesson is, never try. <laughs> so do those solutions have to be real things rather than intellectual arguments? So do you have to say to somebody... I think, you know, I hear your anger. This is all screwed. If you do, if you get involved in this energy cooperative, that's one small way in which this existence can improve or another equivalent. Or is it okay to say to somebody, what you've just articulated there is a critique of neoliberalism. Join, you know, X political party, get involved in um, the left and, and, you know, be part of the revolution. Or does that, does that not work? Um, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily use the word neoliberalism in that context, but I think uh, both of those approaches can work, right? I mean, just look at the 2017 election results. I think, for me, that was a case of huge numbers of people responding to the fact that, for the first time, certainly in my political lifetime, they were being offered something meaningfully different. Everyone is decently, securely and properly housed within our society. You know, they were being told, yeah, we know that this is screwed up and that you're angry and that things aren't working um, and we believe that it can be different. Um, yeah, that's probably all that I have to say about that. <laughs> um, all do you understand now? I understand significantly more than I used to. Um, I don't think I'll ever really understand, you know, life-wise. But yes, <laughs> it's one. It's like thank you so much because it's one of those conversations that you just want to keep having because it's just so interesting and like fundamental. So thank you very much for for coming to speak to us. How can people um, get in touch with you or see anything that you're involved in or anything like that? Are you on the Twitter? Uh, I am on the Twitters with an extremely unpronounceable <laughs> Twitter handle. Excellent. Um, Spend a long time spelling it out. <laughs> Earthling, O-E-U-F-L-I-N-G is my Twitter handle. Um, and you can also Google me and you might find my website, which is www.christineberry.net, where I sometimes blog about stuff to do with this kind of thing. Um, yeah, and I write for things like Open Democracy quite a bit as well, so uh, maybe... If you found this interesting, look out for my stuff on there. Right, Dave. So we can add to squirrels and uh, specifically... Uh, Such a knob. <laughs> a new word that you can't say, which is neoliberalism. I can say neoliberalism. I can't say neonicotinoid. Oh, I just did. <laughs> but I can't say neoliberalism. I can say neoliberalism. But more importantly, can you now understand it? And what did you think of the chat that we just had? Uh, yeah, I agree that that is the best elaboration of neoliberalism that I've heard for a while, which I always assumed was something like, uh, I, uh, I should be allowed to do what I want. That's kind of what I've always mm. heard neoliberalism is, which is opposed to businesses should make money, which is capitalism. Like businesses should make money by being allowed to do what they want is neoliberalism yeah right? right so i think that was good understood that i don't know i think we've got to do the best we've got within this system now i wouldn't want anyone listening to this to go oh i'm not going to go uh buy that 
keep cup or you know donate money to sustain a babble um, <laughs> just, just because it's they very operate. important nobody feels that way yeah <laughs> just because by the way go to www.patreon.com slash sustainable to support the sustainable yeah, um, shed your neoliberal pounds <laughs> i wouldn't want anyone Rid to yourself <laughs> of that burden i wouldn't want anyone to not do stuff now because i don't think we can bank on uh, neoliberalism all like crumbling and people not being selfish gits anymore but I do think we've got to stop being selfish gits fundamentally if we're going to save the planet yes so I think we need to do both we need to smash neoliberalism uh, nicely kindly in a nice kind way and also within it do things like carbon tracker and do things like getting businesses not to be gits but I took from it a sort of positivity um, that suggests it's okay for us to be doing these neoliberal acts, if you like, or, or at least to be doing kind of consumery capitalisty thing acts. Because having, having babies, stuff like that. I don't. I wouldn't describe that as a, li- a neoliberal act. I would it describe that more <laughs> more as an evolutionary <laughs> act or a survivalist act. Um, <laughs> but you know, there is. I'm sure. Maybe I'm overegging this, but I'm sure there is like an affliction among some babble listeners. We know this from some of the emails we get. And there is an affliction among some <laughs> babble listeners, that's and for among sure. environmentalists and among people who just care about this stuff. To you know, to feel guilty about all of these things that, frankly, we don't really have much of a choice about doing. Well, we have to buy stuff, otherwise we don't get clothed or fed. You know, so recognizing that that is what a political project has successfully enabled the whole economy to be run off is quite a nice way of going. Well, it's not my fault then, which is not to say I can't challenge things, but I don't need to sit there despairing and going. Oh, what's the point? So that is just about it for another episode of The Babble. 109 of them in the can. Thank you very, very, very much to Christine Berry for imparting her wisdom and making Dave and Ol understand things, what we didn't understand before. Although in Big Dave, we're steadily building up a bunch of people who actually tell us stuff. This is brilliant. It's great. Yeah. We just need a, one for life now and we'll be, we'll be <laughs> all right. Uh, thank you all, as always, for actually paying attention to things and turning up this week. That's greatly appreciated. So I didn't have to interview the guest by myself. Yes, thank you. I'm much better now. Thank you for asking. Thanks also to the wonderful Dickie Moore for his music that begins and ends and intertwinkles the podcast. And of course, to the majestic Arthur Stovall, who has designed the logo and stuff, but has also designed that merch. What we are now going to move forward to phase two of and da, 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 make some merch for you to buy. And just think how great you will look and just think how much you need that merch. How much no one's going to stop you getting that merch and merch and no one's going to tell you that you can't have that merch. It is your God-given right to have as many Sustainable t-shirts as you damn well like. You can get in touch with us and tell us what you thought of the show. We hope you liked it. You can email us at hello at sustainababble.fish. You can find us on Facebook, just search Sustainababble, and we are on the Twitter at the Babble Wagon. Also, if you could harangue the guy who's sitting on the Twitter address at Sustainababble and tell him that he needs to give us that Twitter address, that would be great. I've been on it in for three years. He ain't done it yet. But I think if we all tell him, that would be wonderful. Excellent. So uh, you've just incited some online 
online harassment. Um, I, I, I suppose, in a way, that is neoliberal, and and there rests our point. Right. That's it. We should. This is the bit you usually do. Mm. I'm doing it. Uh, we shall be back next week. Uh, so bye all. Don't catch any more lurgies. Thank you. Bye. Bye. Yeah, there was a thing. I think they did actually do this once where they did you know, the whole idea of like ecosystem services and whatever, but the, there was an impact assessment where they literally did a survey where they asked people about their willingness to pay for bees. <laughs> what is people's willingness to pay for bees? I don't know. But that's why neoliberalism is stupid, right? Because if you... like. We need bees, otherwise we're all going to die. So it doesn't matter if, like, the the monetary value that people theoretically place...